Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligant. Here we are once again. Monday rolls around. The day you ask the questions and the day that I give the answers. And today's show happens to come on the heels of the Blue Jackets losing yesterday afternoon by the score of 7-2 to in Vegas to the Golden Knights. Now, how is that going to affect the questions that I get today? I don't know. We'll find out. But I know one thing that is going to be discussed and one thing that's going to be talked about is the Blue Jackets lineup changes yesterday. And the biggest change that was made... Now, first of all, there's this is a team that has 12 forwards and six defensemen. So when I say lineup changes, it was the same faces, but they were rearranged yesterday. And the biggest rearrangement came in the middle of the ice when the Blue Jackets started Patrick Laine at center. Oh, and not only started Patrick Laine at center, but put Patrick Laine in between Johnny Gaudreau and Kirill Marchenko to make up the first line. So that was right before the game that that was announced. And ironically, it happened on the day the head coach was not in, well, his presence wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't in attendance. That's what I'm trying to say. Attendance is the word, not presence. What's wrong with me? I act like I've just been on the other side of the country and flew all evening and into the early morning hours across the country last night and wound up in Washington, D.C. That's what it sounds like, because that's what it is. So anyway, I apologize. It, it, the head coach was not in attendance. Brad Larson is out because of a death in his family, and of course we are all uh, you know, concerned about him and his family and, and wish them uh, nothing but the best here as they grieve. Um, but he wasn't there, and then the Blue Jackets made the change. And I'm not saying that they made the change because he wasn't there, because I know that they have been talking even yesterday there was a lot of talk they were on the phone with him I talked to uh, Steve McCarthy who coaches the Blue Jackets defense before the game yesterday and he said that uh, they'd been in contact with Brad Larson uh, throughout the day so this wasn't a decision that Pascal Vincent who happened to be coaching acting as the head coach that day it wasn't like he went out and pulled this out of his hat and decided just to do it Uh, it was agreed upon and it was something that has been in the works now for quite some time. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So it's a day where the head coach is not there. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of your top players who's been a winger and hasn't played at center gets put into the center position. So it, uh, it gets a lot of attention. But the fact of the matter is, it's not as big of a deal as it seems in many ways. Um I think if you were putting Patrick Laine there uh, because you had to, that would be one thing. But this is something that Patrick wants to do. This is something that he has offered to do. And that makes it uh, even more intriguing to me, quite frankly. So Laine played center. Take a look at his numbers from yesterday. Uh, he struggled in the faceoff dot. And that is, I think everybody kind of uh, expected that. You know, he takes face-offs from time to time throughout the course of the year, but not on a regular basis. And let's see, he uh, he only won two out of 15 face-offs. So that's an issue. But that's that's something that you can work on. And he's a big man, and he's got strength. So he, he should be able to get better at that. Uh, he had an assist. He played 15 minutes and 53 seconds, 17 shifts yesterday. Averaged just about a minute per shift. So his numbers are, you know, pretty standard for him, quite frankly. Um, You know, nothing out of the ordinary there. It was just the position that he was playing. And the difference in the positions, the center position has a lot more responsibility, especially defensively. A lot more that you have to do defensively on both ends of the ice. So that is the biggest deal going from the wing to the center. That's why, and we've talked about this for years, that's why sometimes guys come in as centermen, young centermen, and they start on the wing because there is less responsibility and they can kind of relax their mind just a little bit and learn how to play the NHL game. Then you can move to center and start learning 
all of the uh, defensive responsibility that you have. Patrick Line is doing it a different way. He's been a winger, and now all of a sudden he's going to the middle and playing center. So, well, the heck with what I think about the way Patrick Line played because I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine. In fact, I'll tell you this before I start to give you some clips here. I thought that Patrick Line was more visible in yesterday's game than he has been in many games this year. I thought he was the most visible in the game since maybe when we played in Finland. And I mean that. And I mean I saw him down low. I saw him playing a 200-foot game. I didn't see him gliding around a lot, quite frankly. I didn't see him turn the puck over as much yesterday as I've seen him do in some other games. Um, He looked to me like a guy that knew that he had more responsibility and he was embracing it, and he wanted to do his best at that position. That's what I thought about Patrick Laine yesterday. Now, what did Patrick Laine think about his own play yesterday? Let's find out. Yeah, I mean... I, I liked it. Um, you know, it's a tough, tough team to uh, you know play against in a tough, tough building. But you know, it's you know a whole, whole different, uh, different world playing center. But I feel like uh, you know I liked it. There's a lot of, a lot of things I need to work on, especially, especially faceoff. But I think that's just another skill that you can, you can learn, and I'm, I'm willing to learn. And um, but I mean, it could have been, could have been a lot worse at least individually for me. Did it get better shift by shift? Did you pick up things shift by shift? Yeah, I mean, it got it got got easier. I mean, guys told me just not to uh, you know overthink it because it's the same thing in the wing. If you're if you're thinking about it, then you're already too slow. And um, so just try to try to react and play play well down low and uh, just you know be uh, be responsible uh, defensively. I love when the equipment guys come in and check all of those. See, on the benches in the room, if you're wondering when all that banging around is, and I'm bringing this up because it happens every single time, every time. And the, the guys are trying to clear out the room and make sure that everything is gone so that we can go get on the bus. But the, the benches, if you flip up the seat, there's a compartment underneath so that the players can put things in that compartment. And those guys are always going through and checking those, it seems, at the time that we're doing interviews after games. And, um, yeah, they're... They, uh, I think they forget to slow or to softly shut that. Accidentally, of course. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just, I'm just giving you the uh, behind the curtain look there. All right. In any event, so you heard what Patrick said. You know, he was, he was pretty happy with the way he played. He admitted that the faceoffs uh, were the weakest part of his game, playing center, and uh, that he can work on that. And I'm sure that he will work on that because you, you don't. He's not. He's a pro. Like this guy is not going to want to play that position and not be good at it. And if he's not good at it, he'll probably say, "Hey, you know what? I tried it and uh, just didn't work out for me. Sorry, guys." That's what I would expect from him. Um, but anyway, what did his coach think yesterday? What did Pascal Vincent think after the game was over at the performance that uh, Patrick Line had playing center? Well, you know what? Like I said, he's. Um before the the game, he's he's a six foot five man that can skate. He's got he's good at uh, protecting the puck. He's got a pretty good uh, mind as far as reading plays. So, you know, if it can't work, that's uh, the team will benefit from this. Um, and he's excited about it. Um, he's the one who approached us about this uh, this position when Curls got um, got injured, and he said, "Well, I can help. I, I can try anyway, and I'd love to try." So. We've been thinking about it, and, and today we've made the decision to try it. That is the most impressive thing to me, the last thing that Pascal Vincent said right there, that Patrick came to them. Patrick went to his coaches when Sean Corrali was injured, and it was learned that he was going to be out for the remainder of the year. Patrick Line went to his coaches and said, I can help. And there are times... When you watch his game, it's funny the way Patrick's game is because he's so big and it looks like he's moving slowly and he's actually moving faster than it appears. And I mentioned earlier, he turns over a lot of pucks right at the blue line, either blue line, doesn't matter, turns over a lot of pucks. There have been plenty of games where the game has been over and I've said to myself, what did Patrick Line do today? Did he do anything today? And then I look and he had two assists. So uh, what I'm saying is, uh, sometimes 
it's hard to spot exactly what he did during a game. When he's scoring goals, absolutely. You don't miss that, especially when a lot of them are those one-timers from the circle. You don't miss that. But there are other parts of his game that are camouflaged in my in my uh, description of it because I, I'm watching, but I don't see it. And then I go and I look at the score sheet, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that. Actually, that was a nice pass uh, to set up that goal. So uh, in all fairness to Patrick Laine, um, it, it's easy sometimes to watch him and think that he's not putting out as much effort as he is actually putting out. And again, for him to go to the coaches and say, I can help, and offer to move from the wing to the center position. Again, it's a big move. There are a lot of players, especially star players, that would not want to put themselves in a position to be uncomfortable and to not, uh, you know, a position where they might not flourish at because they want to stay where they are because they know they're good there. They're not looking to challenge themselves and and uh, be embarrassed. But Patrick Laine went and he said, I can help. And I, those are the words I love. I can help. That's what you want. You want players to want to be a part of it in a bigger way than just putting on the uniform, going out and playing the games. So he offers the move. As Pascal said, they've been thinking about it for a long time. Yesterday, they decided to do it. Now, why did they decide to do it yesterday? Well, it's very easy to me because it's the third game in four days. Actually, it's the third game in three and a half days. And you're playing in Vegas. It's a Sunday afternoon. You're in last place. You're going nowhere. So what the heck? What is it going to hurt to see if Patrick Line A can have success at this position? It is not going to hurt you one iota to do it in the spot that this team is in right now. It's not. And they know it. And he knows it. So why not do it? So I love that they did it yesterday. I absolutely love the decision. I love that they changed it up. I love that they went for it. And if they want to stay with it for the rest of the year and see if he can do it, I'm all for that too. And I'll tell you exactly why. Tell you exactly why. Because if Patrick Line can play that position, if he can have any success, at that position, then I'll tell you something. The Blue Jackets could really benefit from it. And I know Pascal said that, but let's talk about how they could benefit from it, okay? They could benefit from it because he's six foot five. So that would be a big centerman. And that is something that, quite frankly, they, they do not have right now. They barely have centermen. They don't have a big centerman. So that would be a big centerman. He gets paid a lot of money. Well, a, and it, let me put it this way. He gets paid a lot of money that when you get to a certain point, you could start picking things apart and say, well, you know, wingers getting this. And when it comes to centermen, that's a premium position. You pay for that position. So, you know, whatever money he's making, who cares? Playing center, boom, done. Well, why are you paying him? Well, we got to pay him because he's a centerman. Oh, okay. That's how that goes, right? So um, so that could help you out. Now you're looking to add wingers, which you can add at a, a cheaper price, and you've already got a centerman. Then, depending upon what happens in the draft, you're hoping that you're going to get another premier centerman, and maybe you get a small one in Connor Bedard. Maybe you get a big one in Adam Fantilli. Either way, you're going to have a really skilled one or you're going to have a really skilled and a really big one. Now, maybe you have two big centermen down the middle, and then you're adding after that, what? Boone Jenner could still be playing there. Sean Corrali could still be playing there. Uh, Dmitry Vronkov could be coming over from Russia and earning a spot there, and Jenner goes back to the wing. Uh, do you see how quickly this could change and really turn the tables on this whole no centerman thing? I'm not saying it's going to work. I don't know if Patrick's going to wind up playing this position in the NHL for a long period of time. I have no idea. I'm just saying that there are a wealth of possibilities. And if you don't try it, 
if you just think about it and you don't do anything about it, well, you're never going to know. And you're never going to be in a better position to just experiment than the Blue Jackets are in right now. So I love that they did it. I wish the outcome of the game would have been better. Yeah, of course. But I love that they did it. You might as well try it. I mean, that's all. I've just talked about only that for the last 15 minutes. The team lost the game 7-2. to two. Haven't even talked about that. Why talk about What's there to talk about with that? But this is a thing, and it's not just a thing for yesterday, and it's not just a, uh, a Vegas uh, show that the Blue Jackets put on and, and moved them over there just to, uh, you know, hey, pay no attention to the final score. Look at this shiny object over here, this big guy playing center. It's not that. It's, it's for real. Let's see if we have anything there. Let's see if we can actually do something there. Let's see if there's a future where this is part of it. Okay? Re- really simple. So I, I love that they did it. I love that they did it. I hope they continue to do it. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So for Andy McLean, who sent me this question on Twitter, at Bobby Mac Sports on Twitter, thoughts on line A at center? There they are. There are my thoughts on line A at center. Andy also says I commend him for giving it a try. He seemed more present in all aspects of the game yesterday. And, yes, he did. That is exactly what I told you. And I am couldn't agree more. I thought it was a fine experiment, and I look forward to it continuing tomorrow night here in Washington against the Capitals. Can't promise you that it will, but I think I think they'll give him another kick at the can there. All right, what else do we have? Well, first of all, if you're listening live on Twitter Spaces and you want to be a part of the show and you want to ask your question live, all you have to do is request to be a speaker, and I'll bring you up, and you can ask your question like that. Uh, Travis Weaver sent me this question. What is going on with Daniil Tarasov? He seems to start sharp, but when the wheels come off, he lets in three to four goals in a short span. That's a good question, Travis, and I'm not exactly sure. First of all, I think yesterday there were uh, all of a sudden some really good shots put on him uh, that got into the net. But, but that being said, uh, there were some others. There was one, I forget. I forget who scored it, but um, the guy's coming in on the right wing. He's coming out of the circle. He's angling toward the front of the net, and Tarasov is up against the post to his left, and he pulls away just a fraction of a second early because, in his mind, he obviously thinks the guy is going to drag this puck across the top of the crease, and he just starts to flinch and pull away. The minute he did that, the puck got stuffed right in past his left arm in between the arm and the goalpost. So that's um, that's a misread. That is an assumption of what's going to happen. You know, he's six foot three. He's a big guy. He takes up a lot of the net. And that's great as long as you're in position and you stay in position. But once you do something like that, then you're just opening the door and uh, they take advantage of it. So I, I'm, I'm not sure, but... It's a legitimate question. I mean, he has not been sharp on this call-up. He just hasn't been. And he's been pulled out of games. What's he, three or four games in a row now he's been pulled out? So uh, I I don't know if Michael Hutchinson ever thought he was going to play this much in the NHL this year. I doubt it. But he's been coming in relief uh, like crazy. He's been like like a closer in baseball, except that he's not in there just to ensure a win. He's just coming into every single game. Uh, But it's because of ineffectiveness by the other two. Ineffectiveness or illness, as in the Pittsburgh case, when Elvis left the game, I guess. Uh, Let me see. Mark Correll. Does scoring in the junior leagues translate well into the NHL? I ask this. Because of Jordan Dumay. Wow, is he pouring it on. If it does translate, Dumay, Marchenko, Fantilli, or Bedard, that's a lot of offensive talent infusing into the organization. Let's be honest. We have to look forward to the next few seasons and hope this bad season bears some fruit of success. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's what you're, that's all you've got left now, right? All you've got left is you're, you're just hoping, praying that, What's going on this year is going to uh, 
to actually translate into something really good for the future. So um, does, does it translate? Sometimes. But I'll tell you this. I cannot see Jordan Dumais scoring. It's, he's not going to translate to over 100 points in the NHL. And if he does, that would be fantastic. And it also wouldn't be for a couple of years. I, I don't think it's going to translate because of his size. He's a small guy. He's small and fast. And I, yeah, okay, I get it. But, um, you know, he's going to have to work a lot when he gets to this league. And I, he's going to have to work a lot more than he does in the league that he is in right now. And that's not to disparage the Quebec Major Junior League. But I'm thinking about that league in particular. Remember, David Savard was one of the top-scoring defensemen in that league when he played junior. And when he came to the NHL, he was not a scoring defenseman. He was a stay-at-home defensive defenseman who had scoring touch and came up with a couple of really big goals in his NHL career, like in Tampa, in the playoffs. But he wasn't a guy that was just out there picking up points off the blue line. So you know, he had to play a different style of game in the NHL. And for Jordan Dumais, is he going to be a first-line winger in the NHL? I don't know. If he is, then he's doing fantastic. But if he's a, a third-line guy, then his opportunities aren't going to be as many. And that point total is going to go down. But it's hard to say. I My initial thing is, do the, do the point totals transfer only for certain guys and usually for guys that are high first round guys that's my opinion of it so we'll we'll find out though i mean as he as he uh once he gets here and starts playing we'll know pretty soon you know you'll you'll know pretty quickly if it's going to be able to translate even if it doesn't translate like right away you'll be able to tell by the way he plays the game and his positioning and all that stuff if there's the potential for that. So that's what we'll find out. But, again, my it, my initial reaction is to say no. But you never know in today's game. Uh, let me see here. What does Daryl have to say? Daryl wants to talk conspiracy theories. Uh, Daryl says that there is... Uh, there's a conspiracy theory out there saying that the 2005 lottery was rigged because it was held behind closed doors. Now, this all comes back to the people that are saying that Connor Bedard, even if the Blue Jackets finished dead last, there's no chance that Connor Bedard is going to come to Columbus because the lottery is rigged and Columbus isn't a big enough market, or there's a team that needs a savior. And, and this particular 05 draft, of course, is Crosby going to the Penguins. And, and they needed a savior. They did. I mean, their team was almost uh, out the door, moving to another city. They were bankrupt. Um, you know, Mario Lemieux was very close, supposedly. He was, quote, unquote, very close to taking the franchise somewhere else. And I say quote-unquote because I don't really believe that. I think that was a negotiating ploy. I think that he was he was uh, being stonewalled by the Pennsylvania government, and he had to do something to, to really get their attention. So he went to Kansas City and made sure there was video of him entering the arena in Kansas City as if he was thinking about moving the Penguins there, which to me is if you're an owner and you do stuff like that, that is the nuclear option. I mean, once you do that, it's over. There's a decision going to be made one way or the other, and, and that's that's going to be the last decision. But it worked out because then, you know, Pittsburgh got the funding for their building, and then they got that building, and then they got Sidney Crosby. So, you know, of course there's a lot of conspiracy theory. I mean, there are there are supposed to be, and I, I there are now witnesses uh, to the, the procedures. So I don't know if it was rigged or not. It's it's an easy case to make that one, that 05 one. But, you know, I'm really, I, I'm optimistic about this one. Really optimistic that, you know, things are going to work out. And, you know, if that is, 
if that's not a Connor Bedard, you know, who's to say, look, you got to finish, if you finish last, you cannot pick worse than third. If you get bumped down, you cannot go lower than third. And this team has got to be in that top three to be able to get a centerman that's going to help them to start turning things around. So, you know, and, and a lot of people have told me, and I, I've asked scouts. Now, I, I asked one of our scouts in Anaheim uh, the other day if he has seen Connor Bedard play in person because he's a pro scout, but he was an amateur scout. And uh, he said, he said, yeah, I watched him for two years. I said, does this guy really come as advertised? And he looked at me, his glasses, and he tilted his head down, and he looked at me over the top of his glasses, and he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, okay. All right, so let me uh, ask you this question. I said, he's a smaller guy. Is that any concern when it comes to playing in the NHL? Because let's be honest, Connor McDavid is a big guy. He's already a big guy, and then he can do what he can do with the puck and the way he can use his body to control the puck. And that's not the case for Bedard. He's not as big. So I said, is that any concern? And he looked at me right away, and he said, absolutely not. He said, if you see his legs, his legs are huge. And he really controls himself well. And that's the case with Sidney Crosby. Crosby's not as big as Connor McDavid, but his lower half is solid. And he's really, you know, he drives. His game is driven through the legs, the, the big legs, and uh, how strong he is and how he uses the inside edge of his skates. So that was the report I got on him. And, and I said, okay, so that's that's one thing. I said, so let's say that you don't get the luck that you need. And uh, I go, that Fantilli kid looks like he's all right. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, that's another really good player. You know, but it's a really good you know, one guy's looked at as a generational guy. One guy's looked at as a, a really good, you know, top of the draft pick. I get kind of the sense of uh, a guy that's almost like any other year, top of the draft pick. So we'll find out. We'll find out what happens. But, you know, I'm really I'm really trying not to buy into this conspiracy theory stuff about, you know, losing a lottery. Everybody goes, oh, we've never had luck in the draft lottery. Even the year, and this is true, even the year the Blue Jackets finished dead last, they picked second, they lost the lottery to Edmonton. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Why do I say thank goodness? Well, you remember what happened in that draft? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a newer fan and you weren't around back then, which is very possible because I know that there was an influx of new fans when the Blue Jackets made their four straight appearances in the playoffs. But what happened was the number one pick taken by Edmonton was Nail Yakupov. Now, the Blue Jackets, he was the most talented player in that draft. But the Blue Jackets were not going to take him. He was a Russian player. They had bad experiences with uh, Russian players. There was They, they weren't going to take him. So they were either going to take Ryan Murray anyway or they were potentially going to trade that pick for something else and move down in the order. Which, when you finish dead last and you have what looks to be a really talented offensive superstar at the top of the board, and then you pass on that, it is really just going to create a lot of a lot of talk. It's just going to be stupid mess, right? So Edmonton wins the lottery, and and I've been told that the management there didn't want to take Yakupov at the time, but the owner did. I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've been told. So. They take him, which left Ryan Murray. The Blue Jackets needed defensemen. They took Ryan Murray. And look, now looking back on it all, hindsight being twenty twenty, you would probably say, well, you took Ryan Murray second overall. That was not not a great pick. Well, it was right away when before he got injuries and was injured all the time, he was a doggone good defenseman. So you go back to that one. There, there was a year where they finished dead last and still didn't get the number one pick. But, you know, it's... You want to put yourself in position. You want to have the best chance to win that pick. That's that's what I think that you got to look at right here. Nothing is a guarantee. We all know that. Nothing is guaranteed. But give yourself the best chance. And the way you do that is by finishing last. And again, as I say that, let's remember, the players don't want to hear that at all. The players are not here to finish last. The coaches are not here to finish last. Coaches don't want to finish last because they're trying to keep their jobs. Players don't want to finish last because it's an embarrassment. 
there's a sense of pride. They are out to compete. They are out to win night in and night out. So, you know, I can sit here and say, well, you want to finish last. Well, well, who's, who is you that wants to you? Yeah. Me. Yeah. I can see the benefit of it. The management, yeah, they see a benefit of it. I'm sure. Um, but again, it's, it's nothing's guaranteed. So that's just the way you get the best chance is if you finish in that last spot, but conspiracy theory, eh, I'm not going to buy into it. Torvar says, do you have a favorite player to watch and what makes you enjoy watching them over others? No, not really. I don't have a a favorite player to watch. There are some that you watch differently. I mean, when Johnny Gaudreau gets the puck on his stick, you watch him differently. Um, that's just fact of life. But I don't, you know, it's not like I like Johnny better than I like Sean Corrali. They just play different games, and there's, you know, different. Um, when Johnny Gaudreau gets a puck on his stick, there's a possibility something can happen every single time. And that's not the case for Eric Robinson or Matthew Olivier, although I enjoy how they play, and I enjoy watching them play. So it's, nah, I don't I don't have a favorite one over the next. I really, I really don't. If you're on Twitter Spaces with me and you want to ask your question live, you can do that. Here is Irwin, who's joining the show. Hello, Irwin. How you doing, Bob? Good. How are you? Uh, not too bad. A couple of things about what you've said so far. Oliver Bjorkstrand scored 63 goals one year in juniors and has never come. He's never even reached half of that on the NHL level. Yeah, that's a great. That's, that's a that's a great uh, great example of that. They talk about players being too small. One of the guys in this year's draft, that's highly regarded, that uh, Mitchkov from Russia. He's 5'10", but right now, and I've checked various sources on this, only 140 pounds. He's nowhere near ready to come to the NHL where it's much more physical. If he doesn't put on at least 25 pounds in the next three years by the time he's eligible to come over here, uh, somebody like, uh, who's the guy that wears a number eight there for the New York Rangers? Oh, yeah. Truba. Yeah, he, he he would break him in half. So he's definitely going to have to bulk up and get a lot physically stronger. And at 18, you know, you would think he would fell out and get bigger. But I don't know if I've seen anybody yet you know, that was as highly regarded but only weighed 140 pounds. That that does get my attention. Well, and, and anyway, he, well, you know, he's going to be in Russia for three years. He's already got a deal that he's going to be over there. And that's why, you know, there are going to be some teams. There could be some teams that shy away from him because – of that three-year time span, and then uh, I hate when people bring up, well, we don't know what the geopolitical situation is going to be. That We don't know what it's going to be like by the end of today, let alone three years from now. So I don't care about that. You know, I'm, I would just be concerned about, okay, if he's going to play there three more years, I want to make sure that he's not going to re-up at the end of those three years to stay in the KHL. So my point to you, though, is, and, and you're right, what you're talking about with his weight, but he will have – you know, it, it would be not even be coming over until he's 21, 22 years old. So he'll have the opportunity to be in that shape by the time he ever arrives here. Right. As far as what they did yesterday with line A was concerned, I might have felt a little bit better about it. I didn't have any issues with it, but I would have felt better about it if they'd maybe left him on the same line with Roslovic and let him center that line with Roslovic and just left the top line unchanged. I would have liked that. Why? But I wonder if the move. Huh? Why? Because I've always felt that Line and Roslovec, when they work to play together, have a lot of chemistry together. Well, they do, but I mean, first of all, and I didn't talk to Jack yesterday, none of us did, but I would have to think that Jack probably wasn't pleased to be moved out of the middle and moved back to the wing. So, absolutely. From that standpoint, you want him playing with a guy that's pissed off that he's, you know, taking his spot. And the other thing is, all we've talked about all year is chemistry between Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Line. We've seen some, and then we've not seen very much of it. So to me, and again, you're in last place. You're trying to guide a position that he hasn't played, uh, but he is one of your most talented offensive players. So I didn't have any problem with him, with him uh, sticking him with those two guys and saying, all right, let's see how it works. Let's just put you with these two guys and see how it works. So, you know, I, I understand what you're saying about the way he works with Roslovic, but I I'm kind of like this. If you're going to go for it, just go for it. Don't even mess around. Don't like you, they could have put him at center and, and stuck him with uh, Liam Foody and Emil Bemstrom, but they didn't. They just put him right on the top line. They said, "Let's find out if this will work, yes or no, right now." 
Okay, but to me, maybe the move was as much about moving Patrick or experimenting with Patrick at center as it was maybe in a very veiled way of moving Jack over to the wing without causing uh, too much feather ruffling. I don't know. I mean, they could have moved Boone to the wing, too, if they wanted to. I mean, we know what he does when he plays there. But, of course, they they want Boone to take the face off. But you could have put Boone on the wing and had him take the face-offs. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know that it was a veiled thing. I think they just looked at it and they said, okay, if we're going to put him at center. What, what do we want down the middle? And, and they decided that that was the best way to go about it. So I, but yeah, I, uh, I thought it was neat. I actually, it, it, there was something to talk about quite frankly. True. Well, and he did seem more uh, engaged in the game itself. You know, I've, so many times I've sat there and watched him play. And at times he's just kind of skating around. He looks like he, he doesn't know what to do or he's kind of lost. But he didn't seem that way at all yesterday. He seemed very much in the game itself. The game itself just kind of got away from us. And it was, you know, that barrage there in the second period. I mean, it, it ended things in a hurry, which was kind of bizarre because up to that four-goal barrage in about a six-minute span, they had played really well for the first half of the second period. And it was a 1-1 game. You almost forget that. Yeah. No, you're you're right. It was they were right in it. I mean, score that goal in the first minute of the second period, and and you know Vegas is sitting there going, whoa, 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 what's happening here? Uh, but yeah, then when it fell apart, and like somebody asked earlier about Tarasov, I, that's been disappointing to me because you know he has such great potential. But then again, remember how much he's been hurt this year. He he hasn't played very much. I mean, he didn't play much in Cleveland. He hasn't played that much up here, and. Uh, I hope it's not a uh, I hope it's not a wasted year for him in that regard because he's going to be heavily um, heavily they're going to look on him heavily next year. They need him to do a lot. I can't think of words today, Erwin. I don't know what's going on with me, but anyhow, you get it. Maybe maybe regarded is the word you were searching for. Yes, thank you. Yes. Now another thing along those lines, Tim Bernie the other night. In the L.A. game, he made a couple of fantastic plays in front of Tarasov in the first period, and they get out of there one to nothing. And then all of a sudden, we had the four-goal barrage there, or three-goal barrage, or whatever it was there in the second period, and all of a sudden, the game was out of reach. But the thing that I kind of look at with uh, Tim Burney, it's hard to believe that you can play in almost 50 games and only have two points to show for your season. I, I know he's a defenseman. But when next year rolls around, what do you think they're going to look at and prioritize when they look at him? Are they going to say, we need this guy for his defense over somebody else? Or are they going to look at our team and say, we still have trouble outscoring our mistakes. Maybe we need to find a more offensive guy to put on the blue line. I mean, I know this is crystal ball material, but what's your gut feeling on that? It's crystal ball material, but I think this team still needs two, maybe three defensemen and you know, that puts Tim Burney on the outside looking in. No offense to him. I, I think he's – I talked to him yesterday before the game. I think he's done a great job this year. You know, a couple of games ago, his minutes were just over 12 because he's been struggling. And now they've gone into this defensive rotation instead of just pairs. They've gone into this rotation type of things at times. And one of the goals of that is to cut down minutes for players that are struggling and be able to cover that up. Just by, you know, because there were times yesterday Goodbranson was playing on the left side. They've been moving guys all around just to try to make sure you have the most effective guys on the ice. So even to me, to be honest with you, Irwin, it's, it's not about getting more offensive defensemen to outscore your mistakes. I just think you've got to play better defense, and I, I think you need more experience back there playing defense. We could sit here and talk about your check and how we can't wait to see him come up here, and that's great. But it's going to take him a full year in the NHL to make the adjustment to the NHL. I, I, you know, I don't care what anybody says. He's done a great job in Cleveland. Um, you know, he'll have good moments here next year, but he'll have bad moments too. So it, it takes time. So, uh, you know, if, if you could find more experienced guys, free agent market, trade market, whatever the case may be, they need more experience back there. You know, I'll just throw this last question at you. I'll let you go. But we already know we're not bringing Gavrikov back. I've kind of looked over the, the free agent pickings for this coming summer, and it's a bit slim. But one guy that will be available again is John Klingberg. What do you think of him? That's a good question because he was in Anaheim, and he was like, eh. And then, uh, you know, now they've sent him to Minnesota, and he's, from what I've seen in the last couple of games, I think he's more like the guy that played in Dallas. Um, again, it's going to depend – what the price tag is going to be. 
you know, um, because th- he took that one-year contract this year. He couldn't find a, a long-term spot. He was kind of one of those guys that was pinched out. He took a, a one-year contract. And I'll be interested to see what the asking price is going to be and what the final price that somebody settles on is going to be for John Klingberg. If you if I got him at the right price, then I have no problem with that. Um, I, it's not a guy I would overpay. I wouldn't panic and overpay him, put it that way. You're right. Well, I'm just thinking that because he had an off year and maybe his kind of reestablishing his value a bit. Yeah, maybe. Minnesota, yeah, he might be able to be brought in at a decent price. Even if it's only for a couple of years, you right. might be able to bring him in. That'll buy you some time to develop your other guys that you've got down at Cleveland or wherever right now. No, I get that. Absolutely. And that's you're right. If uh, because of the year that he has, that he has had, uh, because of that, if it lowers the price a little bit and helps you get something more manageable, then yeah. I mean, he's an experienced defenseman. And that's what we're talking about here. Uh, getting getting guys to know how to play in the league. You know, No offense to Tim Bernie. He's done a great job. He's matched up against Crosby and Malkin. He's matched up against... Uh, Connor McDavid this year, um, you know, he's he's done a lot of good things. But it's all about where do you want to be? Do you, you know, if you have three more years left before uh, you need to get back into a playoff race, then you just stick with them and keep going. This team, that's not going to be their mindset. Uh, you got Johnny Gaudreau for seven years. One of those is already off the boards. This is about let's get this thing retooled and get back into playoff contention as quickly as next year. And because of that, um, I think you need more experienced guys, and that's no knock on Tim Burney or any other young defenseman. But get some guys in here that can hold down the fort, as you just said, until your uh, your checks are accustomed to the league and your Denton Mate chucks have gone through the American Hockey League to get ready and all that stuff. Well, by the way, I think people have been listening to us. You know, a couple of weeks ago we uh, mentioned that if we saw Foodie and Bemstrom back next year, that wasn't a good sign. Now, all of a sudden, they both kind of raised their game just out of the blue. I know it's coincidental, but then last week, I made the point that I thought that uh, Borachek not being here this year had impacted Sillinger's game. And since I said it, I've heard Jean-Luc Grandpierre bring it up twice on the on the pregame show. Uh, I thought, yeah, yeah, you got that from me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know he is an avid listener to this program, so that's very possible. I'll just set him up with some false info. And then when he takes the ball and runs with it on the pregame show, I can go, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. And you mentioned the foodie thing and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I had an email that Joseph sent me an email for not, uh, it was, I think it was last week's show. Somehow it got sent to my junk email and I, I didn't see it. And I just found it today. And, um, you know, he was saying about how we were talking about foodie and Bemstrom then went into that Pittsburgh game and they both scored a goal in that game. Um, Foodie looks like a completely different player to me right now. And and I'm not saying that, oh, my goodness, you have to alter everything to have him in the future plans. I'm not saying that. Actually, what I would say is, you know, if he finishes really strong, maybe use him as a a chip in some kind of a trade to get some things that you need, you know, sell while he's hot. Um, Uh, That's very good, yes. Yeah, but in Bemstrom, yeah. he's picked it up, but I mean, he's still not scoring. Is is he playing better? Yes. Has he been more aggressive on the puck? Yes. But th- there's got to be a lot more than that. They didn't bring this guy in to be a fourth line guy. They brought him in to be a scorer, and and he's still not doing that. So yes, they are playing better, but I still haven't changed my opinion on um, whether or not you're a better team if you move on from that. Right. Well, you look at how strong that Roslovic finished last year. And I'm sure over the summer he had very high trade value. So I think you're 100% right on that. If Foodie finishes really strong, well, you got to look at him as a trade ship because I think teams would be more willing to give you more for him. Yeah. And, I like and, that. And, and you have so, and that's such an easy sell to me because, first of all, former first round pick. Second of all, he's been injured the last couple of years. This is the most hockey that he's played, I think, in three years. Okay. And now he's got his feet underneath him, and he's starting to round into his game. That would be my selling point. And if somebody came back and said to me, well, then why aren't you keeping him? I need more than that. I, I don't have time to wait longer for this. So if I can trade him and get something established, I'm all, that's, that's my mindset now, Erwin. I've always said on the show a million times, I'm not a GM. I don't ever want to be one. And then I follow it up and say, but if I were – I want experience now. I'm tired of this. This youngest team in the league stuff can't fly anymore. You've got to get 
guys that know how to play in the league. You got to get established. You got to make the most out of the prime years of Johnny Gaudreau's contract, Patrick Line's contract, and that means getting more experience. So guys like Liam Foody, I love you. It's been great having you around, but I'm going to use you as a chip to try to get something more because I need something more right now. Yeah. Hey, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Erwin. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. What else do I have here? I got an email. And uh, this email comes from Marcus. And Marcus says, happy first day of spring. Thank you. I didn't even realize it was the first day of spring. I don't know what it's like in Columbus. I haven't looked. But it's a, it's a really nice day here in Washington, D.C. There's really not a cloud in the sky. It's sunny. It's it's crisp. It was like high 30s when I went out earlier this morning. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a very nice day. It's very spring-like. But I didn't realize it was the first day. So thank you, Marcus. I appreciate that. But Marcus says, I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, the first would be, are the games getting harder for you to call as the season winds down? As you know, the fans have accepted and want the best possible draft pick. And I'm sure that you also fall into that category. But you still have the job to call these games, and they haven't been the best hockey to, to describe on radio. How are you holding up? Well, I'll answer that. I'm holding up fine. I mean, it's uh, even bad hockey is better than a real job, as I always say to people. Uh, this is the greatest job in the world as far as I'm concerned. and um, It's tough because just like the players, when I'm calling games, even though I, I sit here and I tell you you want the best draft pick and all of that stuff, when you start scoring, like the Anaheim game is one of these games. You know, you're down, you come back and tie. You're down, you come back and tie. And and when you're in it, you're just like, just take the lead. Just go get them. Just quit messing around here. Quit catching up. Just pass them up and take the game. Let's go. And you know that getting those kind of points is not going to help you to get that best possible draft position. But you're you're in the moment. You know, you want you want to win. And I'm the same way. You know, I watch it, and I want to win. A game like yesterday, uh, you pretty much know you're not going to win. As soon as it's 4-1, to one, you, that's not going to happen. And then you change the mindset, and you try to pick out the positives, and you talk about other stuff, and it's it just is what it is. But I'm holding up fine. I, I'm, I'm holding up great, as a matter of fact. Uh, the second question is, uh, what would be your expectations for the Blue Jackets next season when it comes to goal differential? Currently, they are minus 85, while Ottawa, who sits sixth in the East and 22nd in the league, is minus 10. I just think that's a lot to make up in one season. I understand the injuries this year, but realistically, Wierenski coming back while bumping other defensive players down the roster won't fix this completely. The goaltending needs to improve, but Corpy in Los Angeles has shown it's more about the team in front of you. So, what do you think the goal differential may look like 70 games into the season in 2024? what do I think it'll look like? I have no idea. I, and it all depends on like the conversation that I was having with Irwin. And you just said it too, Marcus, when you talk about Corpus Allo and the team that plays in front of him in Los Angeles, this team needs better defensemen. It does. Now with Gavrikov gone, especially it needs better defensemen. How are you going to get those defensemen? Are you going to get them in trade? Are you going to find a free agent? How are you going to do it? But that is first and foremost. The goaltending situation, you would hope, is going to get better as the defense gets better. But with that being said, it's not. that's not going to be enough. Uh, they've got to work harder. They're both, both Elvis and Tarasov are going to have to work harder, and they're going to have to be better, hands down. And then in addition to beefing up the defense, the forwards are going to have to play a better defensive structure too than they have throughout the course of this year. So right now, as you wrote this, minus 85, what does it look like at this time next year? Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I couldn't even tell you. I tell you what I want it to be. I want it to be close to a zero. Let, let's actually, just for fun, I know it's not going to be that, but that's that's what I want it to be. Just just for fun, let's do this. Let's take a look at the standings right now. In the East, Pittsburgh has the second wild card spot right now, by a mere point, by the way, over the Florida Panthers. And Pittsburgh is a minus three. Everybody else is a plus. Uh, the Islanders, who have the first wild card spot, they're a plus twelve. 
And then the teams that are already solidified, Carolina's plus 52, New Jersey's plus 55. Uh, Boston, Boston is sick. You don't, like, don't even look at Boston. This is like cartoonish numbers. Boston is plus 113. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Toronto's in second place. They're plus 50. Tampa's in third place. They're plus 30. So you basically got to get it to a plus. In the East, there are two teams that are a plus that aren't in the playoffs right now. One is Florida. They're plus nine. I told you they're only one point back. And the other is Washington. And they're five points out, but they're plus two. That's the East. Let's look at the West. Everybody's a plus that's in the playoffs in the West. And even Calgary, who is on the outside looking in, trailing by four points, they're a plus five. And after that, everybody that's a minus is out of the playoffs. So... What's it going to be next year? Well, I would I would take that minus 10 if you look at where this team is this year. But what my point is, is that even that is probably not good enough to get you into the postseason. So they've got to do better. They've got to get better defensemen. The goaltenders have to play better. More disciplined, just better. And the forwards have to be there to support. And if you don't have all of that, that minus number is going to be high again, and you're going to be, once again, scratching your head. So that's my answer to that. Marcus, thank you for your question. Thank all of you for your questions today. I really appreciate it. Blue Jackets back on the ice tomorrow, 7 o'clock start here in Washington, D.C. against the Capitals. Be a very uh, interesting matchup. I just told you the Capitals are – they're trailing. They're trying to stay in the playoff race. They're trying, but they sold off at the trade deadline. They're okay if they don't make it, or their their management's okay if they don't make it because they feel this is a year that they can retool on the fly with the draft picks that they picked up. But you know this is going to be a tough game. For the Blue Jackets, you were just on West Coast time yesterday, flew in here. We didn't get uh, into the airport until like 1 o'clock in the morning, and you have to fly into Dulles, so that's another good 30 to 40 minutes to bus in from the airport. So yesterday was a really long day, an extremely long day. By the time you showed up, uh, you know, it was a 10.30 bus for the players to go to the arena yesterday, and then you get here at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I know that 10.30 was 1.30, but it's, it's still 12 hours when it's all said and done and a lot of it on a plane flying. So it's it, it's not ideal to only have – Today off, it would be nice if this game was on Wednesday, but it's not. It's not. That's it. Everybody gets a schedule. Everybody has to play the schedule, and that's the way it goes. So tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Blue Jackets and the Washington Capitals, and then the Blue Jackets will come home. Can you believe that, coming home? It's going to be weird to be at home, quite frankly. But they won't be there very long, only for one night, and that is on Friday when they take on the New York Islanders at Nationwide Arena. So that's where it stands. Again, thanks for all of the questions today. Thanks for the input. It's always great. See if Patrick Laine is back in the middle of the ice tomorrow. I suspect he will be against the Washington Capitals. That'll be fun to watch as the Blue Jackets take on Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage starting at 6.30 on the Blue Jackets radio network and on Valley Sports Ohio. Until then, Bob McKellegate saying so long.